The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1. And if you are a guest here today, thank you so much for being with us. Always appreciate folks coming and checking us out. Crown Point Baptist Church is simply a church that seeks to love the Lord, love each other, and desires to allow the Word of God to minister to our hearts. And this morning we're going to continue looking at this theme of a quest for the authentic church. Last week we looked at how do you identify maturity marks in a church. I, I, can, I can see my grandchildren. The latest one is just three months old. I have nine, and I thank God for each and every one of them. But you know, there are hallmarks as that child goes from just being born, and uh, all of a sudden you're, uh, you, you turn around and it seems like they're, they're a crawler, right? And then a toddler, and the next thing you know, they're running all over the place. Uh, and I thank the Lord for the ability to see that growth in little children, and spiritually God's desiring for us to also be growing. Matter of fact, as we individually grow in our walk with the Lord, collectively we as a church also are maturing. And so we wanted to examine what does the Bible say about an authentic church. And the bottom line is an authentic church is growing in the Lord and growing in some attributes that the Apostle Paul mentioned over and over again in so many of the letters that he wrote to the churches. Second Thessalonians chapter number 1, the Apostle Paul is greeting the church. He's mentioning those folks that were a part of that church plant in verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the reason Paul is mentioning Silas and he's mentioning Timothy is because they were a part of seeing this church started. It was the second missionary journey. You can see the story in Acts chapter number 17. They'd just come from the city of Philippi and they met a seller of purple, Lydia, and also uh, uh, got to meet the jailer. Uh, not probably something that they enjoyed, but they enjoyed the the uh, aftermath of being in prison, and that was that that jailer came to know the Lord as a Savior, and so did his family. By the way, Lydia and her household also came to faith, as you read Acts chapter 16. So this band, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they're now making their way to Thessalonica, and we see it was in this city that uh, literally God began uh, to work in a very short period of time the Bible tells us that Paul was only there three Sabbath days. And uh, as he ministered for those three Sabbath days, God began to work in people's hearts. Some were saved. And the aftermath is a church that's left behind. And these letters are really letters of encouragement to this young baby church. We saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, that he thanked God for their growth in this area of faith, hope, and love. And now in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, he's once again mentioning this growth 
Verse 3 says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. That word aboundeth means it overflows. The word charity, of course, we know is the word love. And what the Apostle Paul was saying, he was saying, listen, as I measure your church, as I, I look for, as an outsider looking in, what I see is I see you're growing in your faith walk, and you're also growing in your love walk. And I use the expression love walk because that's exactly what Paul mentioned to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians, uh, as you come out of uh, chapter 4 into chapter 5, Walk in love was the admonition to that church. So we've looked at faith last week and how to develop faith and the fact that we ought to desire for our faith to grow. Uh, We defined faith. We saw that the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned different degrees of faith. No faith, little faith, weak faith, uh, much faith, great faith. Your faith can be measured by God. Matter of fact, God sees your heart of faith this morning in coming and allowing yourself to be under the preaching of the Word of God so that your faith can grow in the truth of God's Holy Word. And then we ended last week looking at how do you demonstrate that faith? How do we put our faith into practice? And we saw that, first of all, we do that by salvation. You know, it's not enough to just know that there is a God. The the devils believe in God. And and, and that doesn't mean that they're automatically going to heaven. We know where uh, the devil is going. God has prepared a place called hell for the devil and his angels. And yet, uh, they know there's a God. There's a difference between an intellectual head knowledge of the fact that you just say, Oh, I'm okay because I believe God. Well, you're not the only one. But that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because someone says that they believe that a God exists does not make them the child of God. And so the very first way that we demonstrate faith is in our personal salvation. And if you don't know today that if you were to die, you'd go to heaven, we'd love to be able to open up the Word of God and share with you how you can know that reality. Not just uh, intellectually know that there's a God that exists, but in your heart know that you have received Him by faith. He's the only means by which you're completely trusting so that you might have a home for you in heaven with God forever. And so we learn that we can demonstrate our faith by getting saved. We demonstrate our faith by sharing the gospel. You know, when you come to know Jesus as your Savior, you want other people to know it too. And, and one of the hallmarks of sharing uh, the gospel is that we have faith to believe that the gospel can change someone's life. The Apostle Paul went into Thessalonica and he believed that God's word could change a life. He went down to pray there by the river, and he saw a very religious woman by the name of Lydia there meeting for a a Jewish prayer meeting. But 
she didn't need a prayer meeting. She needed a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and so the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy started to share their heart with Lydia, and she gloriously was saved. And, and not only was she saved, but the Bible says her household was saved. She took what she received, and she shared it with others. Listen, if we're growing in faith, we need to be growing in that area too. That we really believe that like uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ changed my life, He can change other people's lives. And uh, this is an area of growing in our faith. So not just in salvation and spreading the gospel seed, but we also saw in this area of surrendering our life to the Lord. You know, as you grow in your Christian life, there's a lot of places where you just are going to become confronted with the truth of the Bible, and you're just going to have to rest on what God says and say, you know, I believe that. I'm going to just obey God in that area, and I'm going to trust that He knows better than I know. You know, sometimes we struggle in this generation with child rearing, and one of the best manuals in all the Bible here to help us moms, and if you haven't discovered it yet, go to the book of Proverbs and just start reading it. Proverbs is a letter of a dad to a son. And if you would like to have the wisdom of of God at your disposal, not your own wisdom, not the wisdom of earthly counselors, but the wisdom of God, God gives us the book of wisdom, Proverbs. The Word of God is absolutely practical. It helps us in every area of our life, including how to be the mom, how to be the dad that God desires for us to be. So in 2 Thessalonians 1, not only do we see here that their growth was in the area of their faith, look at verse 3, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. Is that your testimony today? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. You're not going to see a growing in your faith if you're not putting yourself under the Word of God. And I'm not talking about being spoon-fed, you know, several times a week as you come to God's house. I'm talking about your own time with God, opening up the Word and letting God nourish your heart. We all need our faith to increase. And yet the Bible says uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. As we hear God's truth, our faith, grows. And so we see the Apostle Paul uh, commending this church for the growth in this area of faith. But let's go on one more step. In the middle of verse 3, because that your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity or love of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. I had a pitcher in my hand and a cup, and let's say it was a pitcher of milk, and I started to pour that milk into that cup, and I just kept pouring, and you saw it in, the, in a glass filling up halfway and three-quarter and coming near to the top, and all of a sudden you're getting a little anxious because I'm still pouring, and uh, you're going to uh, say, stop, stop, that's enough. Uh, and if I kept pouring, it would just overflow. That's the word abound. Abound means to overflow. That the hallmark of this church was that they overflowed in this area of love. 
And so this morning, let's ask the Lord on how we can grow in love. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have this morning to be together, uh, to honor our mothers, uh, Lord, those in our life that have uh, ministered and mentored us. Uh, thank you for those in this room that are mothers and that are dealing with the raising of children and Lord, all that goes along with that, we ask that you'd give them grace and help and strength. And Lord, for the rest of us, that we would encourage those, Lord, that are seeking to be your vessel in uh, allowing uh, these lives to be shaped and molded to where they would bring glory to your name. I ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. If you have your notes inside, there's uh, just uh, some follow-along sermon notes with some blanks if you'd like to follow along with us. Number one this morning, let's look at growing in our love. If I'm to be an authentic Christian, if we're going to be an authentic church, then we have to go back to the Scripture and see what does the Scripture say about this authentic New Testament church. And, and when that church was being measured by the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what did the Apostle Paul reference? And time and time again we see that what the declaration was was their growth in this area of love. A declaration, number one, a declaration about biblical love. Two weeks ago, we began looking at the church at Ephesus, both when it was young as well as when it was a little bit older. Uh, we see the, the church at Ephesus mentioned in Revelation chapter number 2. And uh, there were some commendations that the Lord gave to that church at Ephesus, and uh, He was uh, uh, very thankful for the heart that they had, that uh, they stood on truth, they were doctrinally sound, uh, they labored. Uh, you, you saw an element of work. You saw patience. Revelation chapter 2 lays all of that out. And yet, the Lord Jesus in that letter to the church said these words, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You know, churches as well as Christians can leave our first love. When you were born again, when you were saved. Can I tell you, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ filled your heart because you received Jesus into your heart. And that love that you received from the Lord, the reality that your sins were forgiven, that His blood was shed so that you might uh, know Him eternally, so that you might be able to be with Him forever. This love overflowed in your heart. Maybe you remember that one of the first verses you ever uh, uh, memorized, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And the reality when that became personal to you, not just that God so loved the world, but God loved you. God died for you. Uh, the Lord hung on Calvary for you. It was your sins that nailed him to the cross. It was his love for you that kept him on the cross. Oh, what wonderful love that God gave to mankind in allowing His dear Son 
to die for the sins of the world. And so we're filled with that passionate love of, uh, of our new salvation. And then about uh, months go by and years go by and sometimes that love begins to wane. Sometimes that love grows cold. Sometimes we leave that initial passionate love that we had for the Lord. And, and uh, when somebody asks us, are you Christian? Oh yes, I've received the Lord as my Savior. And yet really the passion that we had for God, uh, it's, it's grown cold. And this morning we've got to recognize from Scripture that God's heart is that we would, love, we would grow not just in faith, but also growing in our love. Growing in our love. You know, there are some couples that it seems like as the years roll on, you can just see they're more and more in love with each other than they were when they first began. And you know, in the Christian life, that's how it ought to be. There ought to be a greater love for the Lord and a greater love for uh, God, a greater love for the church, a greater love for each other uh, as we go on in our Christian life. So, number one, a declaration about biblical love. The church at Ephesus, they left their first love. And we must recognize here that as God declared there to be a deficiency in that church at Ephesus, maybe the Holy Spirit is putting uh, spiritually His finger on our soul and, and, and uh, allowing us to recognize this morning that our love is growing cold as well. So that's number one, a declaration about God's love. Number two this morning, a defining of biblical love. A defining of bi biblical love. You know, it's very important for us to define love from a biblical perspective versus the perspective of this world. Because the world has a totally different idea of what love is. Uh, matter of fact, the Bible tells us about, number one, a self-love, uh, which uh, God says in the last days, 2 Timothy 3, 2, that men will be lovers of what? Their own selves. One of the hallmarks of this age is that we're lovers of self. I don't know if a magazine still is in existence, but, you know, I, I was used to seeing Newsweek and Time at, at uh, you know, the, uh, the, the checkout stand at the grocery store. And uh, then you started seeing a, a magazine, never read it, but us. All right? All right? Let's not, not focus on what's going on in the world. Let's focus on us. And that's this age, isn't it? It's all about us. And then... Uh, you go on and uh, you, you see that it's not, no longer just us, but it's all about me. And, uh, and, and the reality is in this generation, if we're not careful, uh, we're going to see self-love dominating in our hearts and in our lives. And it's easy to do it. Um, I, I'm afraid some of the breakups and marriages today is simply because of self-love. Uh, because there's a man that's more in love with himself than uh, the wife that God gave to him. 
or a woman that's more in love with herself than the man that God gave to her. Self-love. Desiring for themselves. I want to be happy. I uh, deserve this. I even... Uh, you know, every, every time you turn around, somebody's telling you what you deserve to have. Uh, you know, as a Christian, what I deserve is hell. And yet Jesus died on a cross so that I can be with him forever. Um, and yet the world, they, they, they allow self-love to become the focus. And we have to uh, recognize that that's not biblical love. So we know self-love. We also would know a sensual love. I was just a child coming up through the 60s, but, you know, that was the, the, the generation supposedly of, of love, of sensual love. Uh, those uh, uh, men, uh, the music group, the Beatles from Liverpool came on over, and, and uh, the, the mantra of the day is all we need is love. But the love they were talking about was not the love of the Word of God. It was not biblical love. It was not rooted in self-sacrifice. Their kind of love was free. Uh, Their kind of love was sensual, sexual. It was the sexual revolution that was launched here uh, through music like the Beatles. And, and, And that's not the love that the Bible speaks about. It's, it's not self-love. It's not sensual love. It is a spiritual love that God's desiring for us to emulate. Would you go with me to Ephesians chapter number 5 for just a moment, please? Here's a picture of a husband and wife, biblically. And the picture is one of sacrificial love. Because the reference here is the picture between Jesus Christ and the church. And the love that Jesus Christ had for the church was an unconditional love. A sacrificial love. A spiritual love. And so as Paul is trying to help uh, families here, help husbands and help wives in their marital relationship, he brings in the relationship as a model of Jesus Christ and the church. And he says, brides, I want you to look at the church as a model. Husbands, I want you to look at the Lord Jesus Christ as a model. This is biblical love. Not sensual love, not self-love, but a spiritual love that flows from the heart of God. And the scripture tells us in Ephesians 5, verse number 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. How? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Pastor, what is a biblical love? It is a giving of yourself to another. And here the admonition, the scriptural admonition, the spiritual admonition when it comes to love is that we would recognize that husbands, we're to love our dear wives as Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. How did Jesus give himself to the church? He died for the church. 
That's the kind of love that Jesus had. The Bible goes on and tells us here in verse number 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. So when we define biblical love, it's not the self-love of the world. It's not the sensual love. There's a place for that, by the way, the Bible says, in a marriage relationship. The marriage bed is undefiled. There's no sin in the marriage bed. God has provided a wonderful gift here for couples. And that intimacy is God's gift. And there's nothing uh, perverted or dirty or profane. It is holy in the relationship of marriage. And it's a wonderful gift. And we thank God here for that gift. Satan comes along and he perverts it. He tries to get a young generation to, 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 to desire something outside the confines of marriage that belongs specifically within the confines of marriage. And as long as it's within the context of marriage, God says it's undefiled. There's, there, there's no stain on it. It's God's gift. And it's precious. And, and we recognize here that the love that is being referred to here, yes, in a marriage relation, you do have that uh, sensual uh, 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 element here to our marriage. But it's not the world's definition of what sensual is. It's God's, and it's holy in marriage. And yet there is a spiritual element where we are to give to nourish, verse 29, to cherish. I wonder which of these three describes our love life. Is, is our love life a self-love? Are, are we going off like the world, sensual? Or is it truly here a spiritual love which is sacrificial one for the other? You know, if you've grown up with the idea that in a marriage relationship it's a 50-50 proposition, you really don't understand the Scripture. It isn't 50-50. It's 100-100. The husband's to love his wife as Jesus Christ loved the church. He loved the church completely. And we, we, we must recognize here this morning that the world defines love and marriage much different than the Word of God defines it. And I'm so thankful that I can learn how to have the right kind of relationship in my home because of the teaching of the Word of God. By the way, when Christ comes into a household, that ought to make us a better man, a better husband, a better wife. Why? Because we're desiring for that sacrificial love to be at the core of our marriage relationship. So we have the declaration about biblical love. We have the defining of biblical love. And we see a deficiency of biblical love. Last week we just brought into the conversation the church at Corinth. And we noted in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, Paul's history was to thank God 
for those elements of growth in each one of these churches. We saw it in the church at Ephesus. We saw it in the Thessalonian church. We saw it in, in the church at Colossae. Uh, we, we can see it in these different letters. And yet, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he thanked them for the grace of God in their life. He couldn't thank them for their faith. He couldn't thank them for their love. He couldn't thank them for their hope. He thanked them for the grace of God in their life. And yet, we see that at the end of the book, probably the most familiar verse on love is going to be found in the love chapter You can turn there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. And what we have here is really the culmination of the deficiency of biblical love in this church. I tell you, when there's a deficiency of biblical love in any Christian, there's a lot of other things that are revealed underneath the surface. Uh, I I believe a lack of biblical love could be demonstrated in verses like 1 Corinthians 3.3. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? You know, that's a, a hallmark of a lack of real biblical love in this congregation. Because of a deficiency of love, you have problems that come to the surface. And we can go all through the letter of the Corinthians and we can see that by the time the Apostle Paul gets to the end, he's saying, listen, love, it's the need. Biblical love, uh, that deficiency has to be reversed. And so this wonderful passage here in 1 Corinthians 13, let's just highlight a few as we look at some of these deficiencies The Bible says in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or as tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity or love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not Love or charity, it profiteth me nothing. And then he describes what real love is, beginning in verse number 4. Letter A, in your notes, when we look here at the deficiency of biblical love in this church at Corinth, first I want you to recognize that giftedness without love is just noise. The Bible tells us here that this church was not behind any church in regards to the gifts, 1 Corinthians 1.7. They were a gifted church. They had the gifts of the Spirit that were given to the church members as they received the Lord as they, their Savior. And yet we see here that what, the Paul, what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, there's a deficiency and no giftedness is going to be a substitute for a lack of genuine love. Again, this church had gifts. They had gifts galore. But the Bible says in verse number 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove a mountain, and have not love, charity, I am nothing. Giftedness without love is just noise. What our homes need is a spiritual love. 
What our relationships need, our marriages need, is biblical love. What the church needs today is biblical love. And can I tell you, the world is going to be impressed, not by how, how large the building is and how many people come and the music program. You know what the, impresses the world is when they see the love that God's people have for each other. That's what Jesus said just before he went to the cross in John chapter number 13, verse 35. The words of Jesus, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. He says that's how the world will know. And God's desiring for us to see that giftedness without love is just noise. Going back to 1 Corinthians 13, greatness of our faith without love is nothing. All right, you see they're building? Yes, God wants us to grow in faith, and we can have great faith. But if you don't mix that faith with love, God says your faith doesn't mean a whole lot. God's desiring here for, yes, us to have great faith, but He's desiring that we would also have this great love. And and the greatness of our faith without love is nothing. Isn't that what the Bible says there as you... A look at the middle of verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Oh, I want to grow in faith, but if I don't mix that faith with love, what good is my faith? That's why First Thessalonians chapter number 1 when it talks about uh, work, faith, and, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, faith, hope, and love, it talks about the work of faith and the labor of love. God's desiring for us to have it. Let her see, not only giftedness without love is noise, greatness of our faith without love is nothing, but good works without love profits me nothing. Look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So good works without love behind the good works, God says, it's of no value. Oh, that the Lord may help us to see any deficiency of biblical love in our life. And so we come here to Uh, the directive to love biblically. I'm not going to take the time this morning, but the Bible desires for us to do, uh, the whole law and commandments hangs on loving God and loving our neighbor. The love of God that we ought to have, this is the directive. God commands me to love Him. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And then love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said the whole law hangs on those two commandments. And so when we think about a directive to biblical love, letter A, we are to love God. We are to love God. And letter B, we are to love God's people. God's desiring for us to see this. Go back to John. We just saw that the world's going to know uh, by our love that we're disciples of our Savior. In chapter number 14, we have the admonition that we ought to love God. And a demonstration of that love is that we would keep His commandments. John 14, verse 15. 
John 14, verse number 23. But then when Jesus gets into John 15, he talks about really the kind of love that we ought to have for each other. The Bible says in verse number 9 of chapter 15, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. He goes on in verse 12, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. Oh, that God would help us here in a directive to love God and to love God's people. And then this morning we close with the thought of, how do I demonstrate that love? How do I demonstrate that love? You know, many of us have had an opportunity to demonstrate love. I don't know what you did for your mom, but my mom um, is tough when it comes to gifts. She lives with my brother, and so she has a bedroom, and she has all the knickknacks that she could ever want that she's collected in her life. So, what do you do for mom? My mom is an avid reader. My mom loves to read. So when it comes to Mother's Day, when it comes to a birthday, I do the best I possibly can to search the world wide web to come up with Christian books or missionary stories or something that I I think she does not yet have. And uh, then I will send that to her. And I kid you not, she received them Thursday when, when uh, two books I sent. When, when I called her Saturday, she gave me book reports, all right, on both the books. And uh, I mean, she got them, she devoured them, and she was ready to tell me what was in them uh, on Saturday. That's just my mom. Uh, I used to send C's candy, and she says, you know, I just don't need the C's candy. And I said, okay, but I, I you know, C's candy, she says, no, I really don't need it. So now I send nuts, and I send her a 10-pound bag of nuts, because I know she'll chew on those and enjoy those. And I don't know, maybe your mom's tough sometimes. I, I, I send flowers, and I feel like she doesn't really enjoy those as much as she does books. And, uh, and uh, so that's my mom. And I, I thank the Lord that I can show love, right? It's not just enough to say, I love you, uh, but we need to show our love. So how do we do that uh, in a real way, all right? The question, how has God demonstrated his love toward us? Somebody help me. How did he do that? But God commended, he demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, what did he do? He died for us. Wow. See, God's love was not just uh, uh, words where, where God said, I want you to know, world, that I love you. But he demonstrated that love. And so we have the privilege to demonstrate love as well. And the second question is, not only how did God demonstrate, but how can we demonstrate love to God? Let me just give you quickly as we close these four thoughts. We demonstrate our love and, first of all, our service to others. You know, that's how Jesus showed his love. I can take you to the upper room. I can take you to Jesus getting a, a, a bowl of water and kneeling down there at the feet of the disciples. And there he began to wash their feet as a demonstration of his love and his humility toward them. We can see the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and 
His demonstration of love through His service. Philippians 2 reminds us that uh, we're to let the mind of Christ be our mind. And that mind, the Bible says in that chapter, was to think about others. I demonstrate love in service. God's desiring here for us to serve one another. Galatians 5.13, you might want to look it up later, but the Bible says, by, but by love serve one another. But by love serve one another. I want you to know that there's some nursery workers right now sitting in the nursery in a Mother's Day service serving. Why? Because they love. There's individuals in our church that came out to prepare all week long for this service. I mean, bathrooms, hallways, chairs taken out, put back in, vacuum cleaners going like crazy, folks that got into bathrooms and scrubbed, and folks that were out in the foyer cleaning the floor, uh, dusting folks on the platform on a weekly basis, straightening out envelopes, putting uh, songbooks straight, uh, all kinds of activity. I had folks yesterday going around with a brush and a little spray bottle uh, trying to find your coffee stains, all right? Uh, And you know uh, who you are, all right? But you you knock that coffee cup over and, and there's that little puddle and somebody has to come along in love and clean up behind us. Tell you, that's, that's how we show our love. Uh, all of those that give yourself in service to God here at Crown Point Baptist Church, I understand that your service is in love. And it's love for God's people. And that's how we can demonstrate that we do love the people of God. Letter B, we demonstrate our love when we put other people before ourselves or put other people first. 1 Corinthians 13 says, listen, we ought not to be puffed up. We're not to put ourselves ahead. This is how we demonstrate love. We desire others first. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. That we would allow others to be put first. Let her see. We demonstrate our love when we give to others. Uh, I won't read the, the passage, but you can read it yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, Paul's commending the church at Corinth for the desire that they have to contribute here to a, a cause uh, concerning another church and some needs that that church had. And, and he reminded the church that it's a token of your love. It's an expression of your love. I, I recognize that as you week by week give to the cause of Christ here at Crown Point Baptist Church, it's a love gift. And it's how you demonstrate your love to the Lord. And lastly, letter D, is we demonstrate our love when we are kind one to another. 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 4, Romans 12, verse number 10. I mean, don't say you love and there's no room for kindness. That's just words. True love is going to be demonstrated by being kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's leave this place this morning 
with a recognition that we all need to grow in love, a recognition that our love can be measured, that God's desiring it for it to overflow in our life, and that our love needs to be directed at God, at our families, at our church, and yes, at a lost world that needs the love of God in their hearts. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.